Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens and I'm in the studio with Pastor Murphy. Pastor Murphy, it's good to have you back in the studio for another episode of That's Truth. It's good being here. Look forward to the interaction this evening. Pastor Murphy, as we begin the program this evening, can you define the charismatic movement or tell us about the charismatic movement as a whole? The charismatic movement basically is a form of... um, well, you might call it a renewal movement. Um, it is not to be fully equated between uh, them and the Pentecostals. It, it came out of the Pentecostal movement. But basically, it's an attempt um, to bring the church back to an experiential type of, of Christianity. Um, it, Like every movement, if you were to check church history and review church history, you'll find that at every period of church history where the church became too formal, uh, too dead, too dry, um, um, too focused only on the intellect and the mind, there's always been a movement that has um, developed to counteract that, and the Pentecostal movement is one of these renewal movements. In history, you'll find, for example, that the Montanists and the Campbellites and the Quakers, uh, they attempted a similar movement, again, because the church had drifted into becoming a very formal um, arid type of um, um, church and this was really a, a, an attempt to bring back the experiential type of the Christian faith especially with its emphasis on the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in, in the contemporary church. So you mentioned the Pentecostals. Are Pentecostals and Charismatics synonymous? Are they the same thing? They're not really synonymous. It's, it's just that the, the, the Pentecostal church have really um, embraced the charismatic movement, which came out of the Pentecostal movement. But there have been excesses in the charismatic movement that not every Pentecostal church would support. So I don't think it is fair and right to equate the two today. Uh, as a matter of fact, l- later on we'll probably talk about the uh, the advantages, not the the the, 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 um, the positives about the, the movement and some of the negatives. But uh, one of the things that it has done is cemented across the line in uh, denominations you know, have Catholics speaking um, in tongues. You've got Mormons speaking in tongues. You've got Episcopalian. You've got um, Lutheran. You've got the, the even some within the Anglican Church. And I must say that on uh, a fringe group within the Baptist Church, this has become the glue that is bringing all of these denominational churches together to create uh, what seems to be the ecumenical movement. 
Uh, and that is one of the great dangers that probably we'll mention as we go on. But we must not equate the two. It, it, it reaches beyond the Pentecostal church. It's now into the Catholic church, now into the Baptist church, it's now into the Episcopalian. It's just uh, one of those movements that spread from uh, the Pentecostal church into the other churches. But there have been excesses, and not every Pentecostal church would endorse um, all the pyrotechnics that you see that follow this uh, this movement. So Pentecostals would be a denomination, whereas Charismatic it's, is an overarching... Right, right. Pentecostal is a denomination, which was started in the late 19th century. The Charismatic movement only began about 1955, 1960. So that is a movement within the, the started within the Pentecostal church. But you can't equate the two together because they don't, didn't start at the same time. All right. So almost every organization or group, even if the group as a whole is bad, there are good values or good things about the group. In the charismatic group, what has the charismatic movement brought to Christianity that is good? Well, I think that there are several things I could mention, and I probably should share this with you. Um, I think that um, the reaction to the barrenness and the lifeless deadness within the church and the impassiveness that was um, demonstrated by the, the orthodox rigidity that was there, uh, it, it kind of stifled to some extent um, the the naturalness or the experiential side of Christianity. And I think that the Pentecostal movement has helped to restore that Christianity is not just about the head, it's also about the heart. It's not just about the, the mind, it also involves the emotions. And I think that they also try to emphasize that it's a relational life as opposed to a doctrinal life, and there's a difference. In other words, um, they want real um, experience. And I think that, that bringing the pendulum from uh, just t t rigid doctrinal and, and, and rigidity and formality, bring it back to a sense that's a personal matter, a relational matter, and uh, I, I think that that has been good for the church. The other thing I would that would say to it that um, it caused the church to really uh, reevaluate it, its um, relationship to the Holy Spirit. It, it brought to the fore the ministry of the Holy Spirit in respect to the individual believer and within the corporate worship. And it, it reminded us that the Holy Spirit should play a, a preeminent role within the, the church. And um, so it, it brought back the doctrine of pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. This began to be studied in greater detail, and it caused men to really, really uh, do a, 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 a doctrinal study on the subject. And uh, letting these people know that knowledge enough was not was alone was not enough. It was not adequate enough, and we need to walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. So I think um, the experiential part of it, the emphasis on the Holy Spirit, bringing it back to the church, and then it also, I think, reminded us, the charismatic movement, um, about the treasury of gifts that have been bequeathed to, to, to the church by Christ. Until the Pentecostal movement came, until the uh, charismatic movement came, emphasizing the gift of tongues, substantially the, the ministry about spiritual gifts within the church it was not much discussed or preached on or talked about. Uh, but again, that forced the... Uh, ch other churches to actually reevaluate the ministry of spiritual gifts within the church, and uh, even though it's not an exhaustive list in the Bible, uh, there are 19 of those gifts that are mentioned, 
and that caused the church to reevaluate which of these gifts are permanent, which of them are temporary, and are these gifts still for today. So bringing the bringing the uh, the concept of experience and the Holy Spirit and the the, the spiritual gifts that God has bequeathed to the, 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 the church in the absence of Christ, I think that performed a real useful service to the church. Along with that, um, I, I believe as well, uh, one of the other benefits of it is that it, it emphasized the role of the lay person within the church. Um, it it didn't. It, in other words, it was not the ministry was not limited to the professional who had gone to Bible school, or gone to Bible college, and acquired certain knowledge. It now became apparent that, in addition to the minister who is trained and who has gone to th- seminary, that within the church there was a cadre of gifts and talents that God has endowed the believer with, and that the the lay person was now. Uh, he had a role within the church, and that the church could not function effectively or efficiently without utilization of the lay person and his gifts. I believe that that has been very helpful to the church uh, as far as the ministry is concerned. And then one other thing that comes to mind is that it calls for a new freedom and expressiveness in worship. Uh, I don't think that this has been all negative. Um, it um, the mechanical stilted um, worship service that marked a lot of churches before has been transformed, and elements of um, um, uh, people are able to animate. And when I say by that, I mean people can raise their hands now. Before it was virtually like a no-no. Uh, people can say amen if there's something that that really appeals to them as opposed to do it in concert because everybody's saying it. Uh, people seem to have a greater freedom in terms of worship rather than just sit and be mechanical in the whole process. And, and, uh, and the other thing is it has added to most churches today uh, what is called a worship section. And what I mean by that is that um, it is virtually helped to introduce um, contemporary music into the into the normal service. Now, not all contemporary music is good. Not all contemporary music is bad. But I think this has helped to foster the utilization of modern music, um, which is not in line with a lot of the, the, the hymns that we used to, to sing before. We still sing the hymns. But in addition to that now, there is a contemporary aspect to the service. In our church, I think it has been very beneficial to our ministry that we've added that feature. Um, so I think this has been really so. Those five things, I think, has been very positive in terms of the Pentecostal, the, the charismatic movement. Pastor Murphy, you were talking about some of the positive things that the charismatic movement has brought to Christianity as a whole, kind of broken Christianity out of the traditional high church mold. What are some of the dangers of the charismatic movement? There are several. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think there are more negatives than positives. To be honest with you. Uh, let me just um, share a few of these with you. Uh, one of the things I think, one of the great mistakes is that it elevated the minor inferior gift to the position of preeminence. And I think that is one of the major flaws of, of, of the movement. Um, in its desire to um, validate its new concept of worship and spirituality, it, it, it took the gift of tongues and it made it such a spectacular focus that I think uh, it is one of the great problems with the movement itself. 
And, of course, when you go from the, the, the tongue movement, it led them further into seeking signs and wonders and, and all the great uh, apostolic miraculous gifts so that instead of pursuing what Paul talks about in the book of Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, and instead of trying to imitate the, 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 um, the Beatitudes, the teaching of our Lord in respect to how we ought to live, the, the entire focus shifted towards the uh, the miraculous and the supernatural and, and the sign gifts. I think that has been a major mistake. Um, if you go into Corinthians, uh, you'll find that the church that is absorbed in this aspect is an infantile church. It's a it's a church that is basically a carnal church that is uh, pursuing a false spirituality because uh, gifts has nothing to do with spirituality. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit is what spirituality is all about. But I think this uh, has been a misplaced emphasis, and this has led, of course, to excesses. Uh, it led to imitation. It led to uh, people abusing the gift itself, and it has distracted the church to some extent. And above all, it has led to what I call the personality cult. Uh, it has created a, an atmosphere that there are certain individuals have risen uh, to levels of of uh, influence and uh, I think the charismatic movement has helped substantially to create this personality cult and then it's led to the marking of the gospel as well and um, all of that by the way eventually led to the prosperity gospel because if you can do sign, if you can do speaking tongues and next you go to miracles and healings and so on and so forth it was inevitable that you'll come to the point where you believe also you can create wealth and that you can give people... In other words, God becomes a, a Santa Claus now that he can give you everything you want. And that has eventually led to what is called the prosperity gospel. But it started with the charismatic movement, and it, it, it became larger and larger than itself. But of course, we're living in a Western world where all people seem to be concerned about is uh, wealth and etc. And that led these this particular group to veer off into the prosperity gospel because they claim power to do all these other things, why they did not have the power as well to create wealth. And that created this, this, this market of the gospel. So I think that is one of the great failures of it. It's elevated in the fear gift to the level of preeminence. And um, it has gone from one thing to the other and expanded to a level I don't think they ever comprehended. Until now, they've veered off to a gospel that's no gospel. And that has um, sent the church off on a rabbit trail and led people astray. That's one of the things. The other thing is, it, it, it never warned people that this is a gift that can be imitated. Um, those of you who do any study on the subject or have dealt with um, in the matter of exorcism or dealing with um, de de deliverance, what you call, or, or demon-possessed people, uh, one of the things that is very, very common with people who are under demonic influence is that they have the capacity to speak in tongues. Uh, so this created the environment for the enemy to infiltrate the church. And I do believe that what we see today in, in most churches, the current uh, expression of it, because it violates the biblical principles, I think the enemy have exploited that. Uh, I'm not saying, by the way, that every person that has claimed to speak in tongues or every church, that this is uh, demonic um, powers being expressed. But I, I suspect that the enemy is creating a false imitation. 
And there's nothing that he dislikes more than to distract people from Christ and the gospel, to be absorbed with childish uh, tongues that nobody can understand or nobody comprehends. Uh, I think this is the enemy's work as well within the local within the church. The third error, I think, is that they have confused speaking in tongues with what is called the second blessing or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible is very, very clear that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a, an event that takes place in every believer's life. Uh, Paul says in Corinthians chapter 12, I think it's verse 30, that we are all baptized by one Spirit into the body of Christ. That's the baptism work of the Holy Spirit. We must not confuse the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling with the Holy Spirit. But I think that the impression has been given that the sign that you are, have received the second blessing or that you've been baptized with the Spirit is the, 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 the tongues demonstrate that this is how you know you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. But that goes contrary to what Paul says because Paul would tell us in Corinthians 14 that not everybody can speak in tongues. It's not a gift for everybody. But yet Paul says we're all baptized into the Holy Spirit. So the two of them are clearly uh, in conflict. Um, the other thing I, uh, I think is important about this matter is it, it, puts a, it put a lot of pressure on members within the church to seek the experience. And this has forced people into a false imitation. Let me just mention an illustration of this that really happened in, 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 that I know of personally. When I was ministering in uh, St. Vincent, uh, I was living above in a building which was, there was a Pentecostal church, um, not even 10 yards from where I was on the below. I could see from my building where I was, where I was uh, living into the church itself. And we had a young lady from our church who had drifted away from the church and had gone out to, into the Pentecostal church uh, that was by my home. And I recall very distinctly that on one occasion I heard pandemonium going on in the building. I mean, there was noise, there was shouting, there were screams. I heard people climbing over the chairs and falling over the chairs and the benches and the pews, and I wanted to know what was going on in there. And I happened to peep through the window and saw that one of the members, my, one of my former members, was actually actively engaged uh, in these activities and also speaking with all kinds of uh, tongues, as it were. And I was curious as to what happened, and I waited for her to pass where my door, and I stopped her, and I said to her, come here, young lady, may I have a word with you? And I had a conversation with her, and I said, what were you doing in there? What was, not, what was going on in there? And she told me these words. She said, Pastor, I was just doing what everybody was doing. See? Uh, she was just imitating. There's nothing real, but the psychological pressure was placed on her. Hmm. Uh, she didn't want to feel as though she's out of touch, out of reality with what was going on in the church. So I think this is what happens to a lot of, of people who, who, who say they speak in tongues. And I think this has been very, very hurtful in terms of the, 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 um, the tongues movement is concerned. I'm going to interrupt you, sure. Pastor, for a quick question that came from a caller in Tortola. Very practical question. Pastors, should we allow Pentecostal preachers in our pulpits as Baptists? My, my counsel, my advice, because of the deviancy in, in terms of the doctrine, is not just the charismatic aspect of it, the tongues movement as well, but there are some deviant doctrines that are held by the Pentecostal church. For example, they don't believe in eternal security. Um, they believe that you can be saved today and lost tomorrow. Um, that's another 
uh, doctrine. Again, they also believe that uh, all of the gifts are for today, basically. Um, as Baptists, we take a very strong position doctrinally. We think that's important that who you associate with, that you have a common doctrine because um, we need to be faithful to truth. Um, therefore, to avoid confusion, to avoid conflict, and to be consistent in what you believe, I would certainly not encourage um, a Baptist uh, ministry, a Baptist pastor, a Baptist church uh, to to uh, make the pulpit available to uh, a Pentecostal preacher. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, he's not my brother. Please don't misunderstand me. Uh, that doesn't mean that we're not co-belligerents. We are co-belligerents. We are, we're fighting the same war. But there are substantial doctrinal differences between Baptists and Pentecostals. And for the sake of avoiding confusion and conflict, uh, I think it would be wise, it would be unwise, should I say, uh, for uh, a person to be in your pulpit that delivers a different message, that preaches a different doctrine, that leaves your people befuffled as to what really is going on within the local church. Uh, so I, I would, I was, I would not happen in our church for sure, and I would not advise um, other pastors to, to to do that because I think you're you are creating a problem that is unnecessary. And it can lead to a lot of conflicts between you and and your members in, in the long term. And then remember that I mentioned that the the tongues movement, while it started within the Pentecostal movement, has been now become the glue that is forging the ecumenical movement. And we as Baptists, um, speaking as, as fundamental Baptists, we are certainly at odds with the ecumenical movement. We don't believe that all churches should come together irrespective of what they believe. Uh, we believe that there is uh, uh, core fundamental truths that uh, the church should hold to, and we do believe that there's, some, there's a substantial error that is being taught by other churches, and we're not going to mingle the two. Uh, we are concerned about doctrinal purity, but that, that doesn't mean that we're not um, compassionate and we're not um, un understand that we can have a personal relationship with um, people who are not Baptists. But when it comes to church affiliation, we are very watchful uh, because we, we, we stick to the truth as interpreted uh, through Scripture, and we don't want to be at variance with that. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth, and the voice that you've been hearing answering these questions and teaching is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Pastor Murphy, we had another WhatsApp question come in from Antigua, and this relates to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2 which says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. The question is, doesn't this explain that speaking in tongues in the New Testament is speaking directly to God in a language that men cannot understand? I, I would like to respond to the, the, um, the person who submitted the question. And I, I would prefer that you um, I respond to this question uh, maybe later in the program if we get to that. We, I want to deal with Corinthians chapter 14 
uh, fairly exhaustively because I know this is one of the main, this is one of the chapters that are mined by the Pentecostals to to uh, explain uh, their position. So I, I really want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with it right now. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I think what we would like to do uh, as part of the program tonight is, is go to the book of Acts chapter 2 because we, I, I, if we're going to understand this whole doctrine of the speaking in tongues, we got to go back to what is called the biblical principle of first mention, where we have to go to the book of Acts to see what exactly took place in the book of Acts, because this lays the foundation for our understanding of what is called glossolalia, which is speaking in tongues. So we're going to try to cover Acts chapter 2, if the time allows, this evening. And I promise you, I will come back to chapter 14, and we will deal with chapter 14 verse by verse, and we'll come to your text and explain uh, what, what we did. But let me get back, if I may. Yeah, to the dangers. To the dangers. Yeah. Uh, another um, negative in terms of uh, the movement is that uh, the way modern tongues is practiced today, it violates clearly the biblical principles that were given to regulate exercise within the church. So what we have today is that the church is encouraging uh, people to violate the very guidelines the Bible gives you with impunity. So I have a problem with that. Let's suppose, uh, for argument's sake, we accept that gifts, the gift of tongues is relevant today and is applicable today, and it's a contemporary gift that belongs to it. Let's assume that that is so. Even though we assume that to be so, when you look at what is being practiced in the church today, it is completely a violation of the guidelines that are given to the uh, operation of that, that, that gift within the church. So how? my question is this. If the church claims that it is relevant today, it's applicable today, but yet the same church that claims that this gift is relevant and applicable, it violates the biblical principles that sets forth how this gift is supposed to be exercised. For example, if there's no interpreter, the gift should not be exercised. We'll come to that in Corinthians. That's why I don't want to read with Corinthians chapter 14 now. It must be two or three. And it must be done in order. Now the Holy Spirit that gives the gifts, don't tell me that this same Holy Spirit would lead people contrary to the guidelines and the principles that he laid down of how the gifts to be exercised. That's why I say to you, the Pentecostal movement has never explained to its people that there's a false imitation that under the influence of demonic control and influence, people speak in tongues. See, I, I wish I could share with you a personal experience we've had in our church, but because it is so close to home, uh, I would desist from that. But all I would say to you is that people who are under the influence of demonic powers or who are possessed by demons, they speak with tongues. Uh, and this should this should cause believers to be very watchful and careful, and I think the church should warn people who are engaged in these activities that is an imitator, an imitation of this that is given uh, by the powers of darkness. So I, yeah. I think that the fact that it is being exercised contrary to the principles laid down as how we're supposed to be exercised is a, is a red light that this cannot be a movement that the Holy Spirit is pushing. When this movement is, uh, this practice is contrary to what the Holy Spirit has given guidelines as to how it's supposed to be operative, I think that's a great mistake. And then the other thing that uh, I think is negative in regard to this tongues movement 
is their attempt to validate the modern tongues gift by employing questionable hermeneutics. And let me explain what I mean by that. They have now suggested, ignoring the context of the scripture, ignoring lexicography, that is how the word glossolia, what it means, and ignoring history. So, uh, and, and they've come up now to saying that there is not one tongue, there are two tongues. So they say in Acts chapter 2, you've got human language. But in Corinthians chapter 14, you have ecstatic, ecstatic speech. But it's a clear violation of the principle of context. Is it the same word in Greek? It's the same word. Not only that, you'll find out that Paul had mentioned in Corinthians chapter 14 that the Lord had told uh, Israel to speak to them in another tongue, and that tongue, of course, was the Assyrians, which is a human tongue. Uh, we'll come to that. That's why I said in Corinthians chapter 14 will bring a lot of clarity to this matter. But my point is this. In order to validate and substantiate a, a modern doctrine, a modern uh, gift that is suspect, uh, elevating it to this high pedestal of preeminence, then discovering that uh, when you examine Scripture, it is not being exercised in, in the biblical way according to the guidelines. Uh, now, what is done, you, you twist the interpretation now and you give a new meaning to the word. So you're saying that what Paul is talking about here is ecstatic speech in Corinthians chapter 14. He's not the same thing as happening in Acts chapter 2. I think that is dishonest. I think it's, it's, um, it's a skewed form of hermeneutics, that is interpretation, and uh, I think that the motive behind it is to try to support the anomaly of practicing the gift without following the biblical norm set down in Corinthians chapter 14, and I think that that, that has really, really been um, unfortunate and one of the negative aspects. The other thing I would say about the charismatic movement and its boom down, that it has led to what I call emotional excess. And it is now created within the church the uh, entertainment syndrome. Uh, and the exercise of all of this emotion is led from one thing to the other. Uh, and worst of all, it has created what I call PADS. You know, we talk ADS, attention deficit syndrome. What is created in the church is preaching attention deficit syndrome. People are no longer prepared to listen to a message that lasts more than 15 or 20 minutes. It has conditioned people. Uh, so the focus now is not on the Word. So we end up with sermonettes and homilies and 15-minute talks, but no clear exposition of the Word. And I think this has been detrimental to the church. So it has led to this uh, PADS, uh, preaching attention deficit syndrome, where people are not prepared to sit and listen in longer to any length of message. They want something emotional, they want it fast, they want fast food service, and they want uh, a lot of... Um, dessert. They're not concerned about the meat of the word. I think that has hurt the church tremendously. We have a caller from Gray's Farm here in Antigua. Thank you for calling in. And they wanted to ask you the question, Pastor, if the church is one foundation, why are there so many denominations confusing people? That's a question that will a program should be held on that, that particular why there are so many denominations. But but clearly, um, part of it has to be the work of the enemy. He wants to divide the church. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Satan plays, plays a role in this matter. The other thing is that different groups have arisen 
who focus on different aspects of the scripture. Uh, this has led to um, the starting of denominations. The, the third thing that's important is that um, the church, as it was founded originally, moved away from the apostolic doctrines. And during the, 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 um, the time of Constantine, if you would call the, the history, um, when he is supposed to have had some vision saying by this sign, conquer, when he became a Christian, Constantine tried to merge Christianity with paganism. That's the historical fact. So what he did basically is that he brought a lot of the, um, the practices within the pagan temple and he brought them into the church and he baptized them as it were and attached Christian sentiments to these things. Uh, I mean, we, we, we do, we in our churches, even within the Baptist circle, uh, the fact is that you take the, um, the Good Friday, um, you take um, Easter, uh, you take all of these, these different, you take even Christmas, for example. If you were to do a study on this matter, you'll find that really a lot of these um, ceremonies and a lot of these functions were actually an attempt by uh, Constantine to uh, add to the church features that were in the pagan system uh, and, and uh, uh, sanitize them as it were so that uh, what happened in the process is that paganism was brought into the church. That led eventually to the church drifting away from truth and God raising up uh, the Reformation. Uh, and uh, out of the Reformation, you now have the Protestant churches. So you have to study church history to understand that it's not just one cause for all of these denominations. There are several causes. That's why I said it would take a program in itself. But remember this. God has always preserved the true remnant of a church. And I have no doubt in my mind that in we have so many different denominations that could confuse people. And I don't think we could ever be able to change that because there's a lot of tradition and history that's locked up into culture. What I would say to people today is get your Bible, go to your Bible, study your Bible, discover what the Bible teaches, and find a church that harmonizes with the Bible. That is the best counsel I can give you today in regards to any church. Thank you for that question from Gray's Farm. And while you were answering that, a question came in from St. Martin, and this is getting us back to the topic of tongues. Is it proper for people to speak in tongues and other people don't understand what they are saying? It's very clear. If you go to Corinthians chapter 14, the apostle lays down at least uh, three or four principles about the use of tongues. If it's going to be used in the church, Paul says, okay, if you're going to use it, this is how it should be done. Number one, if there's no interpreter, there should be no one speaking in tongues. So that is very, very clear in the book of Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, so if, if you want to know the answer to that question, it's very, very straightforward. The speaking in tongues movement in the church today as it is, as it is, is contrary to the guidelines and principles that the Holy Spirit laid down in the Word as to how it's supposed to be operative once it is within the church. So clearly, if you have speaking in tongues in any church, 
and there's no one to interpret it, is violating the guidelines the Holy Spirit laid down. Number two, Paul says there must be two or three no more at any one time. That's not what's going on in the church. It's pandemonium in the church. Everybody's speaking in tongues. And then number three, Paul says, it must be done by course, one at a time. Anyone that knows what's going on today in the modern charismatic movement knows that none of those principles are being followed. And my problem remains the same. Why would the Holy Spirit, why would he prompt people to use the gift contrary to the guidelines that he has laid down in the Bible? And that, to my mind, is where we need discernment and caution and the proper interpretation of the Bible and the proper application of the Bible. And pastors need to be strong and biblical enough that when something is going contrary to Scripture, to halt it or to stop it. But they do a disservice to God to allow it to be perpetuated when it is going contrary to Scripture. The common denominator uh, today when it comes to uniting uh, churches of divergent uh, beliefs etc., whether it be Catholic, Lutheran, or Pentecostals, Episcopalian, Methodist, or even Baptist, the common denominator is that they found a common experience that feeds into the narrative that somehow this is a spiritual movement, and this is bringing divergent groups together. And those who are familiar with Bible prophecy knows that the Bible makes it very clear that at the end time, there is going to be a final ecumenical church made up of all churches. The Bible calls it the great whore in the book of Revelations. It's a, it's a religious movement that consists of all religions under the uh, umbrella of the, 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 the um, papacy. That's in Revelations. You can read that for yourself. We actually have a caller on the air uh, from Jennings. Go ahead. Hello. Good night. Good night. How are you doing? Hi. I'm okay. I was visiting a church in Toronto, and there was a person that was speaking in tongues, and I couldn't understand nothing that the person was saying. But then, the the young lady that took me to the church, she interpreted everything that the person was saying in tongues, and everything she interpreted, what this person was saying in these tongues, it was related to my family, my, my, my children, my home. But I couldn't understand what the person was saying in tongues. But then this lady, this young lady interpreted everything that was said. Mm. So I would like Pastor Murphy to explain that to me. Much for that very okay. practical question. Uh, okay. Pastor Murphy, what do you have to say? Uh, let me respond to the lady. Uh, um, Madam, I, I don't know your experience. I, I can't question your experience. Uh, two things I I would uh, that bothers me there. One is you're assuming that the person really interpreted what the person said. Uh, they told you they interpreted the person that they understood. Uh, what if that's not so? Um, I don't know the person who told you. Um, uh, what I'm saying to you is I have a healthy distrust of people telling me what something means when I don't even know what the language is. But here's another thing. When you come to Corinthians chapter 14 and we come to Acts chapter 2, you will discover that it is, to my mind, it's very unique that the person is, is targeting your family. Because when you read Corinthians chapter 14 and you read Acts chapter 2, uh, what tongues is about is talking about the works of God. 
And we'll come to that very uh, when we study the, the text in, in Acts chapter 2 and also in, in, in Corinthians. It's not about you or your family. If there's a proper biblical expression of tongues, it's about glorifying God and talking about the works of God. And the emphasis is going to be on evangelism because it's a sign to the unbeliever. We'll see that again in Corinthians chapter 14. So if you take the, the, the biblical teaching in Acts chapter 2 and Corinthians chapter 14 as to what is the tongues and what's the purpose of the tongues, uh, it would be rather strange that's directed to you as a believer about your family. It has nothing to do with your family. It's all about glorifying God rather than, than, than trying to pamper to your, to your family. So I find that's a very peculiar uh, experience you had. Um, I can't judge the other person. I just said I have a healthy distrust of the exercise of this gift because it's not following the biblical model. Again, you said that the one person got up, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, you said that somebody was able to interpret. Again, I don't know if they did it in the service or they did it after the service, but clearly it was supposed to be done in the service. And let me just tell you why. Because there are people in the service that knows the guy that got up in tongue, the person who probably gave the interpretation. And if the person, if it's a, if the person spoke in tongues, there may be somebody in the church who understand that language. So they're able to verify what the interpretation is, but you're left where you don't even know whether the person really spoke in tongue or not. He just told you what he think the person said. Thank you, Pastor Murphy, for that answer. While you are answering that call from Jennings, we got a message, a WhatsApp message from Antigua. Why do most pastors try to add so many scenarios instead of preaching the gospel and give people a proper invitation to come just as they are to Christ. If we are followers of Christ, should we not be keeping his teaching as simple as he did to win souls for him? Sir, I endorse your sentiments that you've expressed there. I, I really think that we've gotten sidetracked on this matter. As I mentioned before, if you study the, the exercise of gift within the New Testament, of tongues within the New Testament, uh, number one, it was an exceptional use of the gift of the Church of Corinth. You don't find any other New Testament church exercising that gift. If you study church history, those groups that eventually started reusing the gift of tongues were always fringe groups. They were never within the, 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 the mainstream of Christianity. And they always veered off to some excess and led to some particular error. That in itself should send warning signs to people. But what I, what I, what I think has happened today is that uh, people today are looking for signs and wonders. They want something spectacular. They want something uh, preternatural. Uh, they, 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 they're not satisfied that of the power of the Word of God. They, they want something. Uh, they want pyrotechnics. They want fireworks. They, they want experience. I think that's a big mistake, and I think it's played right into the hand of the enemy. What we need to do, sir, as you said, is to declare the simple gospel to men, get men within the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ, mentor those people, and mold them and shape them within the, the framework of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, that is the kind of change that we need. Look, what does it matter if a man speaks in tongues and he goes to work and he lives like the devil or he lives at, how he lives at his home or how he lives within society? What we really want the greatest uh, evangelistic tool for the church is a changed life and a transformed life that lives within conformity to the, the principles in, the, in Galatians chapter 5 in respect to the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, Jesus said these words, by the way, an evil generation seeks signs. 
it's, it's fascinating that the, a church would be seeking signs today when we were told to declare uh, the Word of God. Oh, one other thought came to my mind, which I was going to say about the movement. Uh, because this movement has equated the spirituality, uh, the second blessing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues, let me show you the the um, the distortion that is there. Take the two most prominent people in the Bible who were filled with the Holy Spirit for the time they were born. Neither of them spoke in tongues. John the Baptist never spoke in tongues. Jesus never spoke in tongues. But they had the fullness of the Spirit. John the Baptist, we're told, never performed one miracle. So we've got a church that is claiming that, you know, we, the church is dead. We need power. We need whatever it is. We've veered off into this, uh, into this rabbit trail, and we've gotten distracted. We've gone from uh, tongues to signs and wonders, from signs and wonders. We've gone to one thing. Now we're into uh, uh, a, a false gospel called the prosperity gospel. But if you can see, one eventually leads to the other. The enemy is so subtle and so crafty that once he gets us down this trail, he knows that what man's primary concern today is about the material, wealth, uh, uh, you know. And this is where it was eventually leading. And this is where we are today, where every corner, every program, you're sowing a seed, you're sending this, you're sending that, you're asking for a kerchief that could bring healing or some kind of an oil, and the church is totally distracted. Which of these churches that you listen to on, on television today ever give you a clear presentation of the gospel? It's all about sowing a seed. It's always about some seven steps or five steps or six steps or, seven or, or, or whatever. And I think you're quite right down the line. The church has got to understand its mission, which is to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, preach the gospel, the simple gospel, that person is transformed and converted, made a new creature. We mentor that person. We, ex we, in the process of mentoring, we bring to attention the work of the Holy Spirit within the believer's life in terms of sanctifying the believer's life, the fruit of the Spirit. And we utilize whatever gifts God has endowed that person within the church. I don't see any value whatsoever of the use of tongues. Absolutely none within the modern church. Am I following you correct that you're saying that Satan has used religion to distract men from the gospel? Yes, not only religion, specifically uh, this aspect of religion. For uh, Look, Satan's goal ultimately is to bring all churches under one umbrella. I, I don't have to dispute that with anybody. Read the book of Revelations. The great mistress that will sit on the back of the beast, she's the religious leader of the world. That is coming. He has to create the environment where this can actually, uh, this eventually can take place. And he's using what appears to be a spiritual movement uh, to lead people in that direction. By the way, it's almost jaded now. So you've gone from the, uh, the speaking in tongues to what is called the holy laughter movement. And the, the, the <laughs> so we've gone from one stage to the other. The other question is what would be after this? Of course, those of you who don't know what holy laughter is, is what they call the third wave. The tongues movement was the second wave. Pentecostal was the first wave. Now we've got the third wave. And what the third wave is, is that um, the pastor gets up, he starts to laugh, 
He shouts a guilty falls down with laughter. Then another member does it. And the whole church is on the floor rolling in laughter. And it has done great detriment to the cause of Christ. And we need to be very watchful and careful in regards to these matters. Why is it that the church is driven by experience? And that's so popular today, whereas doctrines of of Scripture, people aren't interested in it. The simple answer is that psychology is now into the church. We are uh, uh, conditioned uh, no longer to emphasize the mind. Uh, Everything is about the feelings, uh, our intuition. Um, This is, of course, taken on a wider aspect now where a man would say, I feel like a woman, but I'm a man. But again, it's all the the infiltration of psychology into the, the church This is one of the main reasons why uh, people are putting so much emphasis on it. The other thing, though, we must be very, very honest about is that for a long, long time, uh, there has been a lot of mechanical, formal, formality within the church that is so rigid that is not accommodated to people's sensitivities and the fact that man is, in fact, an emotional being. And there are aspects for us to be able to express ourselves emotionally. One cannot read the Psalms, for example, uh, or read the occasion of the dedicated temple in the book of Chronicles uh, without saying that the people shouted, the people praised God. There has to be, we're not just uh, artificial beings. We have an emotional aspect to us. Uh, but I think that it's gone from one extreme and it's now gone to the other extreme. There needs to be a delicate balance where the focus is on the word, the focus is on the mind. And, and I, keep, I tell our church this, the Bible is about truth, and truth can only apply to the mind. And once the truth affects the mind, it then works on the emotions. So our emotions, our, our stirring of emotions should come out of our grasp of truth. I think that's the key to it. Real quickly, in 10 seconds, Pastor, does speaking in tongues determine one's salvation? Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. All right. Thank you very much for listening to That's Truth this evening. Thank you for your interaction. Thank you for your phone calls and your questions. And we look forward to continuing this topic same place, same time next week, 7.30, next Tuesday evening, here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We will have Pastor Murphy look at Acts chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the beautiful island of Antigua. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. 
or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.